and welcome to this week's edition of Talk on Tech. I am Patrick Smith, and today we are doing our second part interview with Jared Staten. How's it going, Jared? Good, Patrick. How are you? Pretty good. So I want to give everybody some context. When I grew up, I grew up in Wayne County, and neither Jared or I are that old. But I will tell <laughs> you that, that in, in my time growing up in Wayne County, I was on a party line. If people don't know what that means, that means... Even though I had my own telephone number at our at our home in the holler where we lived, there were three other people that shared the same telephone line with us. Right. So that meant that when I was up and I wanted to talk to somebody, I could pick up the phone and hear my uncle or even my grandparents talking on the phone. And when we dialed someone, we had to dial 66 to, before we could actually dial the number to get out. Right. And we had a party line until I was at least um, eight or nine. Mm-hmm. So even back then, too, my dad was a, a bit of a tinker himself. He decided to put a gigantic antenna up on the top of the ridge that allowed us to get antenna TV. And at the time, the antenna TV we got brought us in four different TV stations. Brought us in WOWK Channel 13, WCHS Channel 8, brought us in WSAZ Channel 3, and last but not least, we had WVAH Channel 23, which in 1989 moved down out of the UHF spectrum down into Channel 11, which became Fox 11 for us. And then I think even now with cable these days, Channel 3 is technically Channel 4. That's blasphemy. That's yeah, weird. I but, know. But um, for those who don't know UHF and VHF, quick little explanation. If you look at old pictures of TVs, they used to have a round dial on them that reminds you of a clock face. And it had numbers from 1 to 13, and the last letter was a U. That meant that everything 1 to 13 was your VHF, or the super precise name of very high frequency range. And then anything up above that for the U was UHF, ultra high frequency. We had four whopping channels, and then years later we got cable, and you know then we had shopping channels and all these other things. So... I've I've been watching a lot of TV my entire life, and so <laughs> I've got a ton of technology questions for Jared because he does work at a TV station, and he's going to be able to explain to us about all the things we took for granted. We just watched TV and said, "Oh, well, I guess I guess that just works. They make it work. Looks like it should be doing what they're doing." But he's going <laughs> to talk about all the things that happen behind the scenes for that type of stuff to take place. So I guess first, since I'm a bit of a Microsoft guy, sure, I'd kind of like to know about what your computer network looks like at, at, a, at a TV station. How does that work? Well, actually, we have, um, there's two stations. We have one here in Huntington, one in Charleston. So those are just like, those are like locations, basically. Right. Yeah, we, we have two studios. Or so. sites in exactly. Active Directory. Two sites, and ex- that's exactly how it's set up in Active Directory. We have... Uh, a Huntington domain and a Charleston domain. Um, of course, they they replicate uh, mm-hmm. by default. Yeah, ninety minutes. I yeah. think. Um, I think I think it's hundred. I think one hundred eighty. One hundred eighty by so. default. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, I think we did switch it to ninety. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, we we have. Um, so then, just to clarify, do you have two sites or two different domains? Uh, two sites, one okay, domain. So one domain, okay. Right. Okay, because I think you said domain earlier, but you mean you get two sites, one domain for just the whole company. Right, then. and and uh, the we have two DC, uh, two DCs, which is two domain controllers, uh, mm-hmm. one for each site, uh, and they both house DHCP servers. Okay. But 
as you know, you know it, it can pull from depending on which city you're on. It can pull from whatever address that you're sure. getting or whatever. Yeah. Um, we have an exchange server, mm-hmm. but that's housed only in our Huntington office. Okay. You know what version, roughly? 2007. 2007. It's okay. 2007. So that's the version that you got to play with during yeah, the summer exactly. class. exactly. We don't have, uh, since we are actually owned by a corporation, mm-hmm. uh, we don't have a lot of control sure. over those devices. That makes sense. Uh, though we are in there daily, mm-hmm. uh, making changes to new employees, employees that are leaving, whether it be to clean up IP addressing, adding another scope of uh, IP addresses or reserving IP addresses. So you all don't get to play like the admin's role, but there's lower level stuff that you get to actually do. Like right. You don't get to recreate the network, but you get to still right. do day-to-day operations. Right. But but they also have let us know we have the power to do it. Mm-hmm. They entrust us. We have domain admin okay. power. But what is done is either delegated to us or we contact our corporate office and and arrange for that to happen. So we're basically their arms at this point. Right. And it's actually pretty nice <laughs> because uh, there, there are certain things that you don't want to deal with mm-hmm. uh, when, when dealing with domains, whether it would be, it's, you know, there's just way too much <laughs> to talk right. about. However, when you get the chance to to deal with it, or if they ask you to do something, uh, I mean, it's best to to get the experience to do it. I think one of the biggest things that we've we've done is uh, actually switch out the domain controller. Basically, one of the older servers was starting to die, mm-hmm. so we had to switch the the domain controller to a, a newer server. So, what version was that? And what version are you on now? Well, the Domain is on 2003. Okay. It's still on 2003. Uh, but the server itself, the hardware was failing on it. Uh, and we had to switch it. So that was probably one of the biggest things that's happened. So did you just bring up a third server, make it a domain controller, let it get stuff transferred? Correct. And then you just gracefully took the other one off? Right. On? We, we, we unhooked it, took it out with a shotgun and shot it. Yeah, just like an office space. <laughs> just, just like an office space, uh, it, it disappeared as quickly as it arrived. So, but um, we have, as far as the the network's concerned, we have we use a class A private address, um, which is the ten dot zero dot zero dot zero. But it's um, it's a, it's a it's actually a class C address. We still use the class C subnet. So I mean, is, even though you're doing ten dot, you're still right. doing slash twenty four. Right. Which, you know, is uh, CIDR notation mm-hmm. um, slash 24 or if those who don't know CIDR, 25, or 255.255.255.0. So are you doing a class C in Charleston and a different class C in Huntington? Uh, that is correct. Okay. Because I was going to say how I was going to try to figure out how you were going to share those scopes. Basically, right. that was the case. Right. Like um, just for argument's sake, say we our address arrange our address range in Huntington is like 10.45.0.0. Okay. Charleston might be 10.45.12. Okay. So that way we have enough disparity between the two that if we were to ever gain, you know, million times growth, Mm -hmm. we would still have the ability to do so. 
So you're not putting them back to back like 192, 168, one dot, and then two dot. Correct. Yeah. We we actually have scopes reserved for servers, hosts, which are you know PCs, uh, users, different satellite equipment, different routing equipment, and I don't mean router as in Cisco. I mean like uh, video audio switching and routing. Oh, like our Ross, uh, Ross equipment, Harris equipment, stuff that does automation, that does uh, the satellite intake. That's actually on its own private network that it isn't even actually accessible from our private network. Right. We have an, we have, they have an internal network that only has one way of getting in and out. So we, we actually segregate quite a bit of equipment inside the, inside the studio and in Charleston. So to, to segment that stuff, have you had to put them on different forests or are we talking about devices that aren't even necessarily Microsoft aware? So you can easily be segmented. Um, that's, I mean, for the most part, they are Microsoft machines, uh, mm-hmm. whether it be windows seven, God forbid XP, right. Or, uh, something of that nature. Majority of it is just one forest. So the the corporation that owns us owns a, t- a total of like forty four stations. Okay. So instead of creating one large forest mm-hmm. for that, they basically have a forest for each station. So okay. we we don't actually communicate with any of the other stations within the corporation. Okay. Well, I was I was just thinking when you said that you have equipment that you have to isolate there. Technically, if if multiple devices belong to the same Active Directory forest, there's um, exp- there's well, there's transit of trust. Correct. It's the idea that one domain trusts another domain. Right. Doesn't I mean that used to freak me out originally because right. I thought, holy crap, you still have to assign somebody. Like if if I'm part of the Huntington campus or the Huntington location, and you're part of the the Charleston location, if we're in different domains. Correct. I know you said we weren't. You said there's one site. Right. But if we were in different domains, I could screw up and give you access to my printer to print right. when I meant to give some Jared at my campus that. So right. it's a possibility of that. If you were in a completely different forest than me and I was in a different forest, our administrators would have to get together, create an actual forest trust or some trust of some ability Basically, there would have to be a connection between our forests right. before that could accidentally ever happen. Right. So when you said isolation, I didn't know right. if you were truly having to isolate those machines. Okay. So. Well, there's like I did talk about a uh, a private network inside of our private network. Yes. Okay. Um, now that that is due to the uh, the company that we work with with that equipment, they only want access to it. Okay. Is that now, something you have to do through through like Cisco routers and stuff like yeah, VLANs? Correct. I mean, uh, we've got a, we've got a separate VLAN set up for that. It's got its own exit out of our our, uh, our Cisco router and our firewall that we have. And the only way they can access it is remotely, or if we get our hands on the actual equipment, which happens quite often because right. um, we have to be communicating with them, showing them what the problem is. Sure. Um, but uh, I mean, there are, there are small parts within our network that actually have sub networks, VLANs. We have, 
I want to maybe count on my hand. This is a rough estimate, probably around ten or eleven VLANs mm-hmm. within our our actual network. But earlier, when you said you have DHCP, you're right. not you're not going to be handing out addresses. Those are going to be static addresses. So you were just referring Correct. to normal computers on the network getting DHCP right. class C address range. Right. It's not unheard of for people to have smaller little networks. Heck, you sometimes would have to do it if you had a router between Huntington and a router between Charleston. You'd have to create a small little network there between. Correct. So that each of the, it's called the far point of the router. Right. They'd each have to have their own little uh, IP address on that own little network. So Correct. It's not unheard of. And it's also actually, just to prevent the fact that we don't want duplicate addresses out there, that we do sure. run DHCP we will we will create reservations for the static IPs so they don't get handed out. Sure. So none of that stuff gets overwritten, and then you have big communication problems between right. your stations and, and equipment. Well, I mean, I used to always talk about in class, there's two ways you can go about creating an actual scope. You can either choose to say, here's my whole class C, and I want you to exclude these addresses. Right. Or you can say, here is a fractional class C. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to tell you the exclusion. Right. But I would tell the students, if you go the route of saying my entire class C is in the scope. Right. Those computers, and you exclude them, those computers could still phone home to the DHCP and ask for the other optional things. Correct. Because the DHCP gives a lot more than just an IP and a subnet mask. Right. It can give the default gateway. It can give the DHCP server. Heaven forbid it can give the wind server. (laughs) (laughs) If you still have those, it can give a lot more information so they could still phone home and ask for that. Right. So, okay. So what about the, you kind of already talked about a little bit, but for the Cisco people, how's the Cisco side look and telephony and like that? Uh, Believe it or not, we're still actually on a, uh, an, a phone system that's not VoIP. Uh Uh, We've talked about that in the past year of when or how we're going to do that. Right. We have a Cisco 3400 router. Uh, we have a 4507 switch chassis, which has got four blades in it. So, like when I imagine, I don't think I've ever actually seen one of those. I've always seen a Cisco switch that right. looks like a, a, a 2U, I right. think. Yeah, 2U. It's like a normal switch that maybe has like 48, 48 ports. This must be a much larger, I would say it takes up probably 10U at least. At least, yeah. And you have a blade in there that could could be a switch on its own, correct? Yes. It actually has quite a bit of functionality in it, but the the iOS that we have in it is set specific because that's how Cisco sells their equipment. You can have, especially these days, right? You yeah, can you can uh, to that. Re, you can have a a very top of the line switch, but it depends on what iOS you buy with the switch and yes. its capability. We have our, our main function uh, with a lot of our. Cisco equipment is just, you know, the communication between us, the internet, us, and our Charleston office, which sure. is also done through that line or a different line. So we've got, we actually have three different internet connections. We have the office connection, which uh, everybody uses for internet. We have a backup connection, which is actually our main connection between our two offices. Those run on two different lines. One's a 50 meg fiber. The other one's a 250 meg fiber. Wow. Now, the third connection is our very, very, oh my God, everything's on fire backup. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's actually uh, not very fast. 
but it it will run and it, but has, it will actually work it'll the point. work and it will it will put forward the most important stuff first so it has quality of service on that and we'll, we can talk about that a little bit later sure. as, as you probably want to now the what's important and what what you guys might have picked up on first is the fact that i said we have our backup line is a 50 meg fiber and a 250 meg fiber mm-hmm. the 50 meg fiber is the backup for the internet the 250 meg fiber is the communication link between our Huntington and Charleston office. All of our television gets broadcasted between, I wouldn't say it's it's actually the newscast that gets broadcasted there between mm-hmm. that too. I didn't want to say television and exclude the news. But essentially, we saturate that line every day mm-hmm. with at least 112 megs during the newscast. Okay. And that's because we broadcast the news out of two stations at once. Now, by that, are you just referring to, if I'm watching the news, Anchor A could be in the Huntington office, but Anchor B, when they flash to them, could be in the Charleston office? Correct. Okay. And and the, as some networking people will understand, that's called a simulcast, mm-hmm. which you're broadcasting out of two offices at once. And you're tying up that that line, which you have to have twice the bandwidth, we'll say, of what you're broadcasting. Um, well, I wouldn't say you have to have it. It's just a good plan to have that. Because in case, say something goes wrong, our internet goes down, our 50 meg connection goes down, we still have a 250 pipe. And we know that we saturate 112 of that every day during the newscast. That still leaves... 100 and X amount left sure. for us to operate everything that we need to operate. Now, as you know, fiber downtime really doesn't happen that often. Not usually. Not usually. If everything runs the way it's supposed to run on enterprise equipment, you shouldn't have any downtime. Or Un- unless, unless a backhoe bucket <laughs> decides to go on a date with fiber. Exactly. And then and when, they, when they dig into that line... It's it's typically downtime, right? And and it's not it's not one of those we'll fix it in two hours type of downtime. It's you know the fiber has to be relayed, mm-hmm. has to be reterminated. It's a big process. But anyway, regressing back to the actual larger line of the two, the reason that we needed that line so large is the fact that when we saturate that much, we don't have any quality loss on any of the signals that go through. Whenever you transmit the signal from Huntington to Charleston and vice versa, it still has to go through the QoS filter, which quality of service. Right. And it has to recognize that that is the data that always passes. It always passes first and has top priority. Because if you're watching the news and you see pixelation or you see a frame drop or you see a freezing picture and you hear audio, you understand what the problem is. It's, it's got to be the connection because there's nothing in between here and there other than the equipment that's involved keeping it from doing what it needs to do. Sure. And then, like I said, our third connection is, it's just a, it's, it's a Band-Aid. Right. Mainly because the uptime on our other connections is, is uh, almost 100%. Right. Now, you mentioned simulcast. Right. I want to bring that up because I think that means more than what I or the listeners might have gotten. I'm accustomed to watching the news 
you know, anywhere. There could be someone doing a, a live reporting somewhere. Correct. And, uh, you know, to use, I always like to talk about Turd Ferguson. I always like to talk about uh, Burt Reynolds <laughs> in classes. So let's imagine that uh, Burt Reynolds is in the, the main news sure. headquarters and they throw it to Turd Ferguson. Right. Now, when you said a simulcast, some people might might say, "Oh, well, he, well, he, all he means is that Turd Ferguson works in Charleston and Burt Reynolds works down in Huntington, and and they just happen to be on the simulcast together because I can see their two faces there." Right. And Turd Ferguson can go, uh, and now for this next story, Turd Ferguson's going to talk about blah blah blah, and right. they'll throw it to him, and it's the fact that you're recording in Charleston, right, as opposed to being in Huntington. Correct. But I think one time. I I actually was staying up for a conference in Charleston, and I think what you're saying can happen, which this kind of blows my mind. When I was in Charleston, I watched the news, and I thought, man, they're focusing an awful lot on Charleston stories tonight. Correct. And I was talking to my mom, and she's like, I don't see that story you're talking about. And she was (laughs) seeing a completely, well, not a completely different, but some of the stories were Mm Huntington-based. So it's not just the fact that everyone's watching the same broadcast and some of the people are in Charleston, some people are in Huntington. There are portions of your show where at certain times you're recording two completely different newscasts. Is that right? right? That's, that's oh, I, exactly. Actually. Um, it's, it's surprising that you said uh, record. Actually, we, we, we've got two DVRs that work uh, one local and one that's web-based that actually records everything that we do. Oh. Uh, on on the uh, broadcast, but <clears throat> we have it set up to where, depending on where we're at, uh, Huntington or Charleston, the newscast relative to that area is the one that gets shown to everybody, uh, mm-hmm. whether it be on Suddenlink, Comcast, Armstrong, DirecTV, Dish Network. All of that is relative to where the broadcast is coming from. Mm-hmm. So we we start the show out. It's it's a it's a simulcast, but it's showing you know Turb Ferguson and Burt Reynolds both right. talking, sure, uh, to each other, and then we go through what's called a split. And what they do is they have to time that precisely. Uh, as soon as they get done reading a certain part of the script. Our Charleston director hits a big red button, and I'm not kidding. It's big. It's red. <laughs> <laughs> and it lights up when you hit it. And what that does is that immediately cuts off the Huntington transmission to Charleston and overlays the Charleston transmission to them. So suddenly the Charleston people just see Turd Ferguson. Right. And the Huntington people just see Burt Reynolds. Correct. And they each are doing their own separate stories. Correct. And hoping they're going to end at the same time? Hoping is is not the word. It's it's <laughs> it's very precise timing. Okay, but it's very very generic in how precise it is. Whenever they put a news story together, they use a program called ENPS, not ESPN. ENPS, right? So, and it's uh, distributed by AP, actually. Oh, the Associated Press, okay. right? Or it it goes through a process of what story goes where. And it looks like a big grid. Mm-hmm. So let's label these grids A, B, C, D, E, F, and go on down the list. Sure. Now, a certain story that you might want to run at the top of the show is an A, in the A block. That's what how they define this A grid or B grid or whatever. Right. 
So inside that, that A block has different sections. So you say A1, A2, A3, then go down to the B block, B block 1, B block 2, could go all the way down to 26, doesn't matter. Sure. Whenever they decide to put all this together, they do the timing for the blocks. And they say, okay, this is how much time you have for this, this is how much time you have for this. And then whenever the split happens, the producers and directors have to work around that, and they have to time it precisely. So that way, when they get back together, maybe for weather or for sports or mm -hmm. for some other story, that they are on time. And the way that happens is that big red button that they push to split, they have to uncheck or unpush whenever it gets back together. That way, the broadcast is back to normal. So I, I guess the idea is when the split happens, Turd Ferguson up in Charleston might have two stories one he's going to talk about this three minutes long. The next one is two and a half minutes. That's five and a half minutes. Correct. Burt Reynolds down in Huntington better also either have some amount of stories that adds up to five and a half minutes as well. Correct. Because in five and a half minutes, they're coming back together. Exactly. Okay. Well, And sometimes it might be off of a break, too. Uh, what a break is is like whenever the show stops and then they run commercials. Mm-hmm. But still, they need to have that hard it has out. To be, has to be exact. Because you want commercials showing them in all locations. Right, exactly. Yeah. Is there ever a chance that they may say, well, you know, this Huntington story, we're going to go in depth on this. This mm -hmm. is going to be a four-minute story. Right. But in Charleston, we're going to do two quick two-minute stories. Mm -hmm. Like, Is it ever a chance that like Huntington will have two stories in that amount of time, but Charleston may have three? Or four? It's a possibility um, because sometimes stories will only be 30 seconds. Some stories, they try to set a time, possibly a minute, a little over a minute. And then they have something called like a package that usually can take up about two minutes to even three minutes of time. A package is usually more than just the, the, the anchor or the person talking to you. They actually correct. cut away and there's a whole little story that takes right. place in there. Correct? The, yeah, the, the reporter will have their own video, their own voiceover, maybe shows them walking beside something that they're telling you about. Then they roll a video of uh, an the story or, or an interview or several interviews or something like that. And then it will cut back to the reporter and then maybe the reporter and the anchor will talk a little bit about it or whatever. But in that time, the director or producer, usually the producer, director usually doesn't talk. The, the producer will be in the ear of the talent uh, reporter or in the anchor saying five, four, three, and then they have to close. They'll, they'll have to hear that and know when to close, know to go to the next story. Or they'll say they'll go to a video and they're doing an interview. And you're listening to the interview and the reporter will say 15 seconds and then it was over. And what that means is in 15 seconds that that recording is going to be over and the last words that they're going to hear and, and it was over, right? So they the, the anchor knows the cue. Mm -hmm. And as a fail-safe, they'll, they'll also transcribe the interview in the teleprompter so they'll also know, mm -hmm. right? Just in case, because there's, there's always potential problem that there's communication errors, communication problems, they can't hear each other scratchy you know it sounds over modulated or 
I mean, these are all things that can happen in the newscast that, that can really throw it off. So there's sure. always contingency plans to keep that in check. You were talking about some of the different people's names and their roles. Right. Uh, you mentioned like a producer, a director. We've mentioned anchor reporter. Can you talk about, I mean, when I watch the news, I just assume that the anchor must be the head honcho, the big cheese, like uh, Walter Cronkite, right. uh, uh, Tom Brokaw, those type of people were the anchors. So right. I, I don't sometimes feel like local news really has that unless you got a local celebrity. But we talk about how what what's the pecking order? Right. Um, as well, actually, pecking order is. Um, I would have to say that it's not more of a a ladder of I'm more important or anything like that. I think it's along the lines of all the reporters will write their stories. They'll go checked uh, by the anchor. Like just last week, I was in our Charleston office, and I think it was our producer, or actually no, it was one of our reporters said, would you, to the to the anchor, would you mind looking over this? And she did. And she say, well, instead of saying this, saying it like this. And it made it sound better. So she would be like, oh, okay, well, then I'll go fix whatever it is. Almost like a mentor or, type right, thing? Right. It's. I think it's more of a mentor type thing. I mean, they do have a lot of say, of course, because for one, they're anchors. Two, they might have tons of seniority over whoever they're talking with. But... I mean, it's it's also they they all mentor each other when they're there. It's it really is. I mean, they always talk about you know family and how they're all part of a big family, and they really are because a lot of a lot of them have been in the situation that the newer person has been in. Well, I mean, I know that's true, right? But even from the IT world, we know that when we got hired in as the new guy, right. It depended on the person who was over us and their attitude. As we talked about in the last one, right. Whether we get the, um, the crap duty, right. Um, you know, I had to do it. You have to do it. Right. So it doesn't always come across like that. Correct. And I just wanted to know how close it was to like anchorman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, they will read what's on the prompter. (laughs) Right. Um, now sometimes they'll, um, a lot of times they'll catch that, mm-hmm. but there's sometimes uh, these these producers and reporters will get an autopilot, mm-hmm. and they're used to saying, "Okay, back to you, so and so," or right. "Here's so and so," or whatever. And somebody new will come in and take a take a spot for a day. Sure, and they'll type that in, and then somebody will say, "Okay, back to you, so and so." Oh wait, you're not so and so. Right. So I mean that that can happen on occasion. And you you mentioned some people like. I think earlier you mentioned a TMP. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of jobs on the inside that you don't see, but the but the the main jobs are the producers, the directors, who are also called TMPs, which is technical media producers. Okay. Now I know we in, never. Huh. Oh, I was gonna say, you say see producer and director. Right. I know that in movies, the director technically well. Actually, to be perfectly honest, it seems like directors don't direct. They're not the ones that call action stuff. There's an assistant director that does that. Mm-hmm. They just sit back and count the money. The producers <laughs> are typically the money person. But I hear that's completely opposite. In like TV, the top dog is not the director. It's right. actually the pr- executive producer. So what do those names mean in a, in a TV station? Well, at the station I work at, when it comes to say-so about what gets put on the newscast, that's the news director. 
and the news director says, use it, don't use it, don't do this, do do this, don't use that shot, use this shot. But the news director sees it from an outside perspective. He'll watch the newscast from the office, not from the booth, and he'll take notes, and then he'll look and see what people are doing right, what people are doing wrong, uh, and try to correct that. Now, uh, let me backtrack a little bit. Sure. The producer and the director, all these shows are put together before um, before it's broadcast. Sure. So the script is good to go. The videos are in. Everything's waiting to be broadcast. This, uh, in the world that we live today, we don't have cameramen. All okay. the All the cameras are remotely operated through IP. So where the director sits, he's got a program that has all the shots loaded, has all the video loaded, and he just has to transition through that whole show at that computer. So the director is like, when you see the the booth, right. wherever, that's where the director's at. He's Correct. like running the show. If you've seen like the Emmys and stuff, he's like, we're transferring in five, four, three, two. Right. And so that's what the director's job is in, right. the, in the newsroom. And 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 in the booth, the, the director uh, in the booth will always tell, will always say, stand by. And that tells the producer, that tells the talent, that tells everybody. Usually, I think it's 10 seconds. They don't, there's sometimes they give countdown, sometimes they don't, depends. Usually you just wait till that red light comes on on the camera. And then that's when they start talking. Uh, the directors also, while they watch the time, have to watch for the on-air light. So there's an on-air light above every monitor that they have in the in the production booth. And as soon as that goes on, they know to hit the music. They know to open the mics up. They know to go to their shots, all that. So it's surprising how automated it is. Mm-hmm. However, it doesn't seem automated. There's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot you have to pay attention to as a director. And the producers have to work with them on top of what all the producer does, talking to the talent that they call floating stories, dropping stories at the last second, adding stories at the last second if that does, needs to be. Does floating stories literally mean you're pitching a story at the last minute? Uh, no. Float, what floating a story means is maybe it doesn't fit time-wise. Maybe it would look better later on in the show. So what they do is they float the story and inside the program, what that does is that marks it as not active. So, so it doesn't have a particular spot, right? Right. Yet. So what it does is it just kind of floats there and goes, I think should be to the bottom of the screen. Mm-hmm. And when it gets floated, that means it gets taken out of the script, the, an auto script, which is our teleprompter okay. uh, software. Mm-hmm. We'll read that code, understand it, and say, oh, and yank it out. Oh, I didn't, I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that when stories get moved around, there's software out there that automatically repositions uh-huh. the, the text almost like, I mean, for them, it's literally closed captioning to a degree. For it us, is. For us, it's closed captioning, too. We're just not reading it like they're having to mm-hmm. read it out loud. Right. But moving that around automatically happens. Yes. And, and there's good things and bad things about that. Sometimes there's uh, a problem where if you float too many or you're too close to a story and you float, it takes everything out of the prompter and then reloads it back. 
And then sometimes that can get to a point to where that will make the anchor lose where they're at on the script. Now, like I said, there's contingency plans for everything. Sure. So whenever they go out there, they have they have the teleprompter that's out there. Mm-hmm. They have an iPad that has a mobile version of the application that we use, which is also a teleprompter, which they can scroll themselves. And if all else fails, they have paper scripts. I was going to say, they a, do. Lo- a lot of times I always see when you watch any of the local news, at the very end, they always kind of pick up the paper and, and yep. bang it against the table. Yep. And that's, that's a, that's, I mean, you just have to be prepared for that mm-hmm. um, because it is live television and it, any, any small mess up can reflect badly. Well, so if you've got paper script or you've got an iPad, aren't they going to notice that you're looking down the whole time? Possibly. Uh, what they can do in the meantime is if they're talking about the story, they can cut the video uh, if there is video of it. Now, these these people who work here are extremely talented. Mm-hmm. They, I, I've been able to see people read a script off of an iPhone while looking directly into a camera and barely breaking eye contact. I mean, these people are really good at what they do. For example, whenever we do our simulcast in Charleston, there's a one-second delay. When the anchor in Huntington talks to the anchor in Charleston, there is a one-second delay. She has to account for that. And she is really good at it. It doesn't they, seem... They just know where the next person's going to end. They just know exactly when they're going to end, and they'll start talking. In her ear, he's not done talking. Right. But he is on our side. So she'll start talking and start going into saying whatever she wants to say or needs to say, to, according to the script. Talking back and forth like that is, is very, very difficult if you don't know the timing difference. And that type of ability is what's impressive to me as to, you know, aside of, I just got to read a script. Right. You know? There's a, there's a lot more talent and, and, and technical skill you got to have right. built into right. that. And, and the, and the ability to be friendly with everybody uh, when they go in public and, and, and being able to uh, socialize with anybody who wants to come up and talk to them because mm-hmm. Let's be honest, when you see somebody famous in public, whether it's a local celebrity or you kind of want to go talk to them. Yeah, you're on TV. Whether or not you really want to go talk to them. I mean, you just have that urge. I wonder what this person's really like, mm-hmm. you know, and they get that a lot. And, and I see it happen a lot. Um, so, I mean, it's everybody has a very important job at that station, even though it's it's hard to say exactly how important people's jobs are right if one cog in that in that whole system falls off it's not going to work right so it seems to kind of summarize for lack of a better term the pecking order the news director kind of seems to be the general they're watching the broadcast they're giving notes they're right they're 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 making corrections for the next one the director is the person in the trenches right they're truly directing and creating that particular newscast, even though Correct. they both might have talked about it, the uh, news director is very hands off when the live stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. Whereas, wait, did I say that right? The yes, news, the news director yes. is, but the producer is the one who's down in the trenches. Then, right. right? 
Yeah. But, well, both of them are, the producer and the director. See, whenever they put together a newscast, mm-hmm. the producer says, okay, this is what story I have. This is what videos we have. This is what I want to do. Director goes, all right, I'll decide whether we want to go to boxes or two shot or whatever shot they want to use. And they code it. And believe it or not, it's coded in XML. Some of the stuff runs off SQL. Okay. Um, so the the code, it's very intricate how it works. We've got multiple systems that do the shots that relay all the information to the switcher or whatever device it needs to be relayed to and goes to the shot. But it's down to the point to where it's double-click, drag-and-drop, copy-paste code, stuff like that. But it's not like they don't know what this stuff means. Right. They know exactly what it means, how it works. Just because it's it's getting to a point to where it's automated mm-hmm. and you just maybe hit a space bar or something like that. They know immediately when something doesn't work right, when it doesn't look right, they know exactly how to cut out of it if they didn't if they need to, or they know how to work a backup switcher if the switcher fails. You know, it seems at first glance, you think, well, she's just talking to the anchor and he's just hitting a button. That's not it. No, it's not it at all. When you look at the intricacies of how each system works together for a newscast, it's very impressive. When you say switcher, am I correct in assuming that's the thing that lays all the pieces we see on screen together? Yes. So, I mean, right now, for anybody listening to this, thinking about it, you think about a news broadcast, they just don't show you close-up of a person on the bottom of the screen there could be a ticker going by with right. like stock stuff right that's a graphic right something's providing that right if um if you're watching like nightly news and they're talking to someone in afghanistan they'll show a picture of the anchor on the left they'll show the person in afghanistan on the right they're in little boxes right their names are below that right that's all graphics there's right. all kinds of combinations i almost feel like you're using powerpoint and there's all these different ways you can <laughs> format your slide that screen is a slide and the switcher is having to lay all that out right and you're saying beforehand the news director and the producer figure that out up front right but who's hitting the buttons and having to do it all and execute it? Uh, who executes all the transitions and the graphics is yes. the director. Okay. The timing and and under and knowing what stories need to go, what need to be floated, which ones need to go on first. Producer does that. Okay. Um, now, when you start talking about graphics and tickers and and bugs and stuff like that, people might not understand what are bugs. bugs do you ever have that application on your phone called Weatherbug? Oh, yeah, the one that, like, beep, 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 right. yeah, yeah. It's similar to that, but basically what it is is it's our time and our date and our logo mm-hmm. on the bottom right that shows you what the temperature is outside, oh, the yeah. date, or the time, or and then just our little logo. They it's call very, that the bug. Okay, because that also kind of reminds me of, um, I think Fox Sports did it first, but the box right where they always showed you what the score was right. and stuff and i i listened to a podcast one day and they're like you know we didn't do that before like 1995 and i thought are you serious are you serious they showed football games and at any given time when right. you turn it on you didn't know what the score was right it's crazy it is isn't it but it, it's kind of like that it's exactly like that and uh we have we have things called tickers which run um you might be more 
familiarized with it now that we have 24-hour news, mm-hmm. finance, uh, all that. They The scrolling bar at the bottom sure. that shows all the information is usually what we call the ticker. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also have to run the lottery. You know, it's very, very important that, that we show the lottery. All right. Every day we have to, they have, or excuse me, the TMPs have to take down the lottery numbers, enter them into a system, put them on TV. So whenever Jeopardy comes on, mm-hmm. they hit that button and then all of a sudden you'll see that little ticker rides up and then you'll see the lotto numbers and then, you know, you're good to go. But there's, there's always somebody behind the scenes having to push those buttons right having to you know go with the flow if something doesn't work and all that gets generated from multiple systems that we have Mm -hmm. whether it's graphics whether it's it's another server that controls cambotics which does the camera remote control Mm -hmm. or if it's our audio board which usually most of the stuff is routed straight straight through the switcher which all that is networked. Right. Which and, all of it is networked. And so all that kind of falls under your domain. Exactly. And that, that was the thing whenever they hired me on. They said, you got to understand something. And it's not just domain controllers. It's not just Cisco equipment. You're going to be working with audio, video. You're going to be working with transmission. You're going to be working with microwave links. You're going to be working with much other different stuff now luckily enough we do have a transmission guy where i don't have to touch uh microwave links all that he's very very intelligent with that stuff and and he knows it's better that left for him to handle sure but whenever it comes to any type of system communication that is not working you have to know it and figure out what's going on mm-hmm. and that's when it comes into a part of all right was this on own network was it on this vlan how does it communicate because sometimes there's with our graphics for example we have i'm going to guesstimate eight machines these eight machines all do a different thing Mm -hmm. now these eight machines also have to talk to a gateway and then that gateway relates the information to the computer and the production booth that allows it to do what it needs to do Mm -hmm. now on top of this, there's there's two engines per city. Engine? Uh, engines. Like basically, graphics engines? Yeah, basically graphics engines. And they're labeled 1-2 for Huntington, 1-2 for Charleston. Actually, I think there's only one in Charleston, if I remember correctly, so there's three. However, somebody will call you in the middle of a newscast, frantic call. Uh, I can't get server three to load. Now... To you, that you're like, well, what the hell is server three? What does that mean? Well, we have different playout servers. Videos go on different servers. Whenever they play it, they say whatever server the video is on. Therefore, it plays off that server. That's where I, that all comes inside that code that the director puts in. So you'll go find out. You'll look. Uh, you'll pop your head in production. We've got these two big monitors, and they all each one of these monitors has a subsection that says like. Server 1, Server 2, Server 3, Camera 1, Camera 2, Camera 3, all this information up there. So you'll take a look and you'll see that there's nothing on Server 3. So you sit, you have to sit there and think, okay, well, what's connected to Server 3? How's it communicating? What's it doing? 
you look at the rundown as they're going through the show. Now, you have to understand that they're skipping all of this, and they're having to go with the flow at the same time you're trying to diagnose what the problem is. So suddenly that news article got floated. Exactly. <laughs> you are you are right on it. Either that or they'll say, we're skipping the video, read the script, we'll make up for it. Now, this creates a lot of stress Yeah, I'd between say. the director, between the producer, between my job, between even the news producer or the news director. I mean, anytime something doesn't work right during a broadcast, it gets very stressful. Tom's ticking. So, exactly. So the number one thing to do, keep calm. Because you, if you if you act calm, if you go about your business in a calmly manner, it can spread. It can really help relax people. They say, okay, you're on it, you're on it, whatever. Now, that can be different come election, because elections are very, very important. Mm-hmm. Getting that information out to who's winning, who's not, and all that. But I always assume the poor sports people have it worst. Because anytime you watch any local news and you right. watch an 11 o'clock news broadcast, right. they're probably like getting things in right now as it's happening. Yep. And you talked about packages earlier. Yep. That's a ton of packages because I would imagine, could you actually say as a definition, anytime there's footage already shot and it's not live, that could be considered a package. Someone had to put that footage together. Yeah. It's old footage. So right. there's a there's a package for most high schools that they're highlighting. Right. That's a lot to put together. And there's there's actually sometimes when you don't have fresh video, they'll use archive video for a story. Oh, okay. Um, now, when you're talking about the sports, I've watched our sports anchor go out not knowing the, the final score of a game, mm-hmm. be in the middle of a script, and somebody will pop in that script, update it instantaneously right before he reads it, and then he'll be able to read it. And once I again, talk about a lot of graphics. Right. And and they'll, they'll change that on the fly. It can get very pressing. But, I mean, they trust each other. They trust they'll get it done. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, it works. I mean, so to go back very, to your, very interesting. your server three issue. Yeah. I would imagine a lot of it yeah, is Yeah, we the, didn't get finished talking well, about that. Well, I mean, I just I thought about it being so stressful for yeah. for uh for the uh the sports guys, right. but it seems like if you imagined all these circles, the, like the seven layers of hell almost. Right. Apparently some news is happening outside yeah. right now as far yeah, as trucks hopefully are Hopefully I don't get called to work. Um, but <laughs> it seems like you talked about, you know, what, what VLAN is it on? Right. Which location is it at? Right. There's all these circles of complexity you have. Right. So when someone calls you and says server three is having a problem, you've got to quickly be able to get from a macro view and work your way quickly right. down to find out what the problem is in very little time because the news is not waiting. Because Well, I'll, I'll use this as an example, actually, because when, when you hear server three is having an issue, server three could be fine. Like you could you could trace it back to server three and you look and you're like, well, it's working. Everything seems fine. Mm-hmm. It could be a template on a switcher that somebody forgot to mention to somebody else was changed and that it overlaid a background showing black and you saw nothing. So instead of seeing the two boxes where the two anchors can show up, right? it's a graphic that's just black. Or just not even a graphic, just black. Because the way the switcher does is you can crop twist bend any image in that switcher so what you can do is you can overlay the graphic 
on top of the background. That way, you'll see a graphic of boxes where, you know, anchor A and anchor B are supposed to be. Sure. And all you see is black because that's what's under that's what's underneath the the graphic layer. Now you can switch that. Now, sometimes it depends on whatever is happening. Right. You can have. I think I saw a. a a case where there was boxes and there was black behind it and they saw no anchors and they kept telling us they said i think the the, the graphics engine is not working so we go check the graphics engine that's working okay well we'll start to see if there's any type of communication fail through the uh gateway that it uses no gateway's fine so we start working our way back from there and once we got into looking at the actual story, it looked very weird on the template on the switcher. Something didn't look right. Mm-hmm. Now, as, a, as what I do is not close to what a director does, Sure, I, re- I relayed the information I had to a director, and he took a look at it and said, there's a template that's wrong on this switcher. And he fixed it while they were still on the show. And it replaced all that code that was that setup in the show and fixed it for the rest of the show. And they did that. We did that within two or three minutes of it coming up. So are you saying almost like Photoshop layers? Right. If you can imagine that or you can imagine uh, sheets of acetate in an old-fashioned encyclopedia. The anchors were there. Right. But they were on the bottom. And what should have been the black background was on top of them. Right. And then the boxes was on top. It would be like going to a school play and the curtain they have in the background that's supposed to show the background scene of where these actors are playing actually comes down in front of the actors and the actors are acting behind the actual play curtain. Right. Wow. That was that. And, and see the directors will queue up shots before they happen. Mm -hmm. So in other words, they'll say, they'll tell the switcher, okay, get this shot ready. That shot will come up in one of the monitors up there. And then they'll have to next to the shot and the where it'll actually come up and actually display. Now he was going through his shots and in the show and he looked on the monitor where the rundown is, which rundown is like the kind the, of the script basically or the, the outline of the show. Right. Exactly. So, and the rundown in his, in his computer that shows the program uh, shows all the shots, what it's supposed to be how long it's supposed to be, whatever. He looked, and it showed a little warning sign, which to us in computers, we know that as the yellow triangle sign with an exclamation mark, mm-hmm. right? can be different, can be red with sure. yellow exclamation mark, whatever. And it's bad either way. He knew something was wrong, so mm-hmm. he queued up the shot, and then he looked at it, and then he immediately told us, you know, come in here, you got to take a look at this. And he skipped it. Skipped the shot, said we're, we're going to go with one anchor. Yeah, we won't do or, a two shot. We'll just right, do a one shot. Right. And then we'll just switch between. And uh, that's what they did. Like the old-fashioned way. Camera one, right. camera two. Camera right. one, camera two. <laughs> so after uh, we had figured out that everything on our side is functioning correctly, uh, we grabbed one of the directors that, that wasn't in the booth at the moment said let's take a look at this and we worked with them and like i said within three minutes we were able to figure it out and got it switched for the rest of the show everything was good okay um but that's how quickly things can go wrong 
and how quickly they have to be fixed. Right. Knock on wood, nine times out of ten, the shows go off without a hitch. Uh, but there are days that is the perfect storm <laughs> where one system will fail and mm. then another system will fail and Just then the switcher will fail. Dominoes. Right. And and it's not like all just because one failed, they're all going to fail. It's just because it just happened. Mm -hmm. There's no real explanation why the graphics engine failed and the switcher failed at the same time, right? There's no correlation between the two, and there's no reason that it happened. It just happened. So, wow, you got to be prepared for that. Well, let's talk about what happens when um, when it's snowing outside, right? And they cut to news, and you decided to send a meteorologist outside to go, look, there's snow on the ground. Right. Is that considered a remote? This, well, I mean, we, can, we, we call it a live shot, but yeah, mm -hmm. we, I mean, we will do remote shots like that. Because in most TV shows, when you see, even as, even as recent as Iron Man 3, when, when that movie came out, you know, Tony Stark got right. into this news van that right. had the giant satellite dish that went up and was really high right. in the air and stuff. Do you guys use those still? I don't think we've used one of those vans in two years. Wow. Two or three years. Uh, so it's, what are you doing now? It's mainly cell signal. Our live shots are very uh, compact than what, to, than what they used to be. And what do you mean by compact in that Compact regard? as in it's very... When you wanted to do a live shot, you had to take the van. Mm -hmm. And then the van, of course, like you said, has the big satellite dish on it, has a big rack of equipment with it. And inside the van, you've got everything that you need to run a shot. It's even, it, it could actually be considered a mobile news vehicle mm -hmm. where you can do your, you can do your producing, your directing, your editing all in, in that van. You can make your package in there. Right. Now, the way we do it now is that we have this little backpack, like a, basically a school backpack. And inside of it is this machine that runs a, uh, a Linux operating system that runs uh, cell signal transmission. Oh. Uh, it connects up to, well, there, it varies on how many connections it can have. Right. We run six cell cards. Basically, they call them air cards sometimes, but they're with usually AT&T and Verizon. And what it does is it combines all the transmission power of those cards into one transmission. So it load balances the video, the audio, and all that so it can communicate back to us. Are now, you saying you have six cards in that backpack or you have six cards at the office that the backpacks can be sending six to? Six cards in the backpack. Wow. And then we use, of course, that's all we need. That's all the equipment we need. The rest is taken by the cell tower or by Verizon, by AT&T, and it's routed publicly through a certain IP address with this company that we purchased this through. Mm -hmm. And they feed it directly into one of our receivers of theirs that we have in our office. Are they feeding it to you still through cellular or are they doing it through like fiber optic or something like that? I want to say it's still cellular. Okay. Um, I think it just routes through the cell towers back to where we come through. Eventually it's going to come in through the internet. Sure. Because it's it, the way, just the way it routes, but it goes through the cell towers, cell towers, then figure out where it needs to go. And I think it goes to their office, reroutes to ours through the internet. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. 
So you basically have like six LTE connections in that backpack, yes. or, or better than that. Yes. Oh no, just yeah, basically six LTE connections, and that's good enough to stream you HD video. Yes, live HD video. Yeah, and and here's how it works. Actually, we have each we have four receivers for this, which means we can have four shots going at the same time. Now, when those backpacks connect up to us, they have to call us and they have to say, "Okay, I have my shot up." How's it look? And what we do is we look at the bandwidth that it's pulling in. We look at the delay that we need to adjust. And we can raise or lower the bandwidth cap. Whether or not they're getting good signal, getting bad signal, it depends. Uh, Say they go to BFE. Sure. Right. Which, I mean, Wayne County can... A lot of Wayne County is considered BFE. Well, we cover, we cover a lot of areas where that's very possible. Sure. So we go to BFE. They connect up. Maybe two or three of the cards connect. And maybe we're getting 700 kilobytes a second at most. Now, to you, that's not enough to stream HD. However, if we adjust the delay to, say, from maybe two seconds to four seconds it buffers another 700 giving it actually a 1400 bandwidth considering it's delaying and letting all the video come in and then producing the video for us so anytime that there's low signal we have delay that will allow us to to get a sort of a better connection cuz you're almost saying that you're allowing even though someone is speaking into a mic and on a camera one second of video, you're allowing it to send in two seconds, so it can send double the amount of data right over that cellular right. connection. We're ca- we're causing enough of a a delay to where it will buffer. It will mm-hmm. do its do what's asymmetric replication exactly, mm-hmm. and and send it directly to us. Now the neat thing about it is is they just upgraded the, the software mm-hmm. before. Whenever you did that, it would cut the video. It would transmit, 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 and then boom, finally we'd see a video again. They actually upgraded it to where we can adjust it on the fly, not lose our connection. And that way, just in case all of a sudden we see sudden pixelation, sudden bandwidth drop, boom, we'll just crank it up just a, just a tad to get that back. Now, there might be a little bit of a delay of back to you, mm-hmm. but it still provides a, a clear shot. Could could you cheat and just not let them be full screen? Put them in one of the graphics, and so you can use a lower resolution video, you could. right? You really could. Um, if, if you wanted to do that, or if you start to see a lot of pixelation, you could actually just let them talk, go to a video, go to a graphic, go to something that doesn't show them clearly on the screen, looking like, you know, an 8-pixel video game. Right. So... But, I mean, how about the audio, though? Aren't you going to worry about the again. audio? I mean, if your video is coming through pixelated, that means there's going to be degraded audio, right? Degraded audio, can you can definitely tell uh, anytime the signal degrades. However, the audio doesn't sound as bad as the video will look. Um, whenever we start hitting down around, like, the 600 kilo, kilobyte round, because we usually run 4 meg, mm-hmm. 4,096 total, kilobytes per second sure but for that's exactly four megs Mm -hmm. so when you start dropping that down into two megs even up to 1.5 megs can be considered hd 
Oh, right? okay. So I'm guessing we're pushing the the boundaries of 720p, right? So whenever you start dropping to below that, below that, the further down you go, the more pixelation you get, and then that's when you get sound degradation. And that's when you get somebody that sounds like they're talking to you from a tin can in 1985, <laughs> right? <laughs> so you just you just start hearing uh, the sound the sound degradation. So I know you've told me previously that the IT side of the fence isn't all it's cracked up to be. You do have to do a lot more than just the IT. You sometimes yeah. have to clean some of the actual equipment that's that's used. Um, that's that's a part of maintenance. Mm-hmm. You if you would call it that. You got to understand, we have 35 racks of equipment. Mm-hmm. They're going to get dusty. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not, it's actually a lot better at this job than it was at my previous job. Previous job, I had to get up on a roof and look for a leak. <laughs> that, that was it a leak over the rack? No. Then I'm, I'm, conf- nope, I'm confused. Nope. It was to- just, it was just a water leak. They wanted to know where the water <laughs> leak was, so they sent the IT guy up to take a look at it. But no, I mean, I don't remember water being in the OSI model. <laughs> well, I mean, if yeah, that's uh, there's not really much you can do about that. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, when your when your executive director says jump, you kind of say how high, right? But um, whenever, I mean, that's that's all part of the job, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, we had bad snow. Was of late February, early March this year, mm-hmm. and we got hit with two storms, two big storms. Yep, three weeks off of school. Three weeks. You guys were off for three weeks. I was working eighteen-hour days. That's it, but that was the thing. You like, had eight hours a day off, right? <laughs> like so, something the, like that. What What happened is we would, you know, who could make it to the station would make it to the station. Mm-hmm. We were having heavy, wet snow, which actually can can provide signal degradation on our satellites. Okay. So that really involves climbing up on the roof, grabbing a broom or a long handled brush or something and cleaning off the satellite dish. Because you have to make sure that what's coming in comes in, what's going out goes out. Because I imagine that weight will cause the, what would normally be the the good actuator pointing right where you Mm -hmm. want your um, LNBs to point. Suddenly, they're just a little bit off. They're not hitting the right satellite to the right angle they should be. Exactly. And and the amount of, of snow or, you know, crystallized water, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. can create enough refraction or reflection on the parabolic that where the signal's not going to get through. That's just a part of the job that, that you know, it's it doesn't seem like it's IT work, but right. in all actuality, you are fixing a communication problem right and and it has to be done so i mean there i've sliced my fingers open so many times cleaning out computers because they're dusty you know this is just part of the process you know whether or not you enjoy (laughs) doing something like that and there are times where somebody will say that they that they can't hear out in the studio now when a to describe that a little bit better, when they say they can't hear out in the studio, there's a thing called an IFB. It's basically, if you ever watch a movies and you see an FBI agent, CI agent, and they got that little clear tube by their ear mm-hmm. that goes in and it allows them to hear what's going on. That's that's an IFB that they use out on the set. It's like an in-ear uh, speaker, right? Right. And that's how the director talks to them. That's how the director can talk to them. That's how anchors hear each other. Mm-hmm. That's how the... Um, 
reporters hear each other. That's how you know when they're about ready to come back to you right. in your two seconds or four seconds and let you know where your cue is. And and believe it or not, they'll come into your office and say, we can't hear so-and-so or I had trouble hearing. And a popular problem with that is earwax buildup on the inside of the IFB. I mean, I guess that makes sense. It's in your ear. Right. <laughs> and what you have to do is you, you have to unscrew a part of the IFB take the clear tube out and then blow compressed air down in it. And it'll either take, because sometimes it's not even earwax, it's water. Hmm. Sometimes uh, perspiration can get get down in there and get on top of wherever the audio is coming out and you hear it flutter, flutter, flutter and crackle. And I was worried more about the water getting into the electrical equipment and shorting while it's in someone's ear. Well, a majority of that. Yeah. We'll see a majority of that is um, just, it's, it's passing through mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff can't get down into the where the electronic part is though it's it's a small chance that it could happen right but uh it's a good chance that it won't so but i mean those are the type of things that just seem to happen uh that 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 are part of the job well, i know you mentioned satellites earlier growing up my dad actually installed c-band satellites so i'm familiar with what an LMB is and, and, and how big those satellites can be and stuff. Right. One thing that I always used to like as a kid, doesn't seem like you can do it much anymore, but I'm curious whether you still get your, your TV shows and stuff that way is we were able to use a C-band satellite dish, get one of those like satellite weekly. It's like a gigantic TV God. And I was able to find out that alias was going to come on on Wednesday. Right. Like it was being broadcast out for the local stations to, to I guess down well not download but record right play later I could watch I could download it on Wednesday or watch it right I'm not saying download but I could I could record it on a VHS tape on Wednesday and watch it before all my friends watched it on Sunday right and there was no commercials typically in it <laughs> so and I don't know if that's still happening these days or not or how that works but is if, that similar how you still get shows it very is very much well uh, is the way that we get shows I mean. Everything that we get in, except for a few shows here and there, are all done satellite. Now, depending on what band they're on, KU band, C band, uh, you know, is determined by the person who's providing the show. Right. Um, but we we use an automated system that keeps track of video timing and all that. Um, but that that automation system also keeps track of what satellite is where, mm-hmm. or what what dish is pointed at what satellite Mm -hmm. and and what it's being used by and whatnot and it allows you to to move the dish if you want to move it or set up a a a time for it to be used there is a lot of i mean it still comes down like you said you know video gets broadcast at a certain time sure prior prior to when it really comes on right yeah exactly for example there was a popular voting television show uh, mm-hmm. on our channel mm-hmm. and there was uh i think a local person on or somebody that was close to this this area mm-hmm. and it was whether or not they were being voted on voted off you know right whether people like them or not we knew two days before but that's just because it was pre-recorded and it wasn't a live show is, is there an embargo for stuff like that 
I remember being able to go to Walmart sometimes, and I guess people wouldn't pay attention. Don't right. put such and such out. Like just this last week, the new Metal Gear came out. Right. And Walmart, the electronics guys probably had that for a good two weeks beforehand. Yeah. And there's a couple times you would go places and you could buy it there. And I know they get in a lot of trouble for that. Would that type of thing happen to you all? Oh yeah, absolutely. Really? I mean, if if something like that were to leak out. Mm-hmm. and it was tracked back to our station, I mean, it would be serious repercussion on pretty much anybody involved, if not the whole station. Um, though the the thing is, is the, the people who handle that mm-hmm. really, they, it's just another part of their job. Sure. They, uh, you know, they... They don't say, "Ooh, I can't wait to see if so and so made it or right. whatever." They they're just it's another show that they have to download or or receive and they have to mark and they have to put it in for broadcast at a certain time. Right. So, they didn't get into this because they loved TV necessarily. Right. I mean, not not like I love TV shows, I want right. to watch them early. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's it, you know, their first their their first goal isn't to watch Sure. that show or whatever yeah. it's it's to come to work and direct and all that do, do you know anything about syndication I, yes. I can think i can think like years ago they redid the original star trek the original series yes. in hd yes and for a while on one of the local channels you could like watch it at 1 a.m it was yep. the weirdest time in the world yes. but i'm thinking this was not you know you're talking about like talent shows or whatever this was not an american idol or dancing with the stars type thing right. this was a show that had been around for decades and right so how does syndication happen because i can't imagine they have to beam it to you because the show's already been on well uh, actually it's it's it is handled that way they do they do transmit it to you now syndication is all is all decided with money Mm -hmm. Uh, syndication for a certain show that i know that we used to carry that we don't carry anymore right a million a year so if we wanted to keep running that show we'd pay a million bucks a year Mm -hmm. for that for that show and just to throw out there for people who don't don't even know what syndication is usually if a show gets 100 episodes i think it's gone down to like 88 it's the idea that you can get money for this show being re-ran correct like when everybody loves raymond went off the air or when seinfeld went off the air it was off the air right years later someone's like i want to watch seinfeld and if tbs or or WGN or something like that picks it up. Right. It's the idea that, hey, you might want to watch Seinfeld again. Right. Uh, it seems like Law & Order, good Lord. Right. Law & Order shows on like TNT. <laughs> it's on everywhere. And I'd imagine some of those deals, like you were saying, a million-dollar deal, if you paid less, they might go, well, if you're paying less, we're going to allow other competing stations to also get it. But if you right. pay a million bucks, it might guarantee you that that show is only on your station, and even though that show is not live and or not current, right? If someone wants to watch it, and they don't own the DVDs or they don't have Hulu, they're going to watch it on your station right. because I love that show five years ago. I want to watch right. it again, and you get the advertising from that, right? Well, well, I mean, and that you can act, that that all fluctuates within inside the the business. For example, say you're doing that show that's a million a year and you are running it then you understand that maybe that's when the most popular time to watch your channel is so that's when you start selling the most expensive spots for the con- commercials right and that way you know these big companies are getting the spots that they need you're making back the money 
and you know could be a win-win situation other other times you have to look at it from outside perspectives and saying we're really making money on this is this really worth it you know it's supply and demand right i mean because i know recently hulu was all they were like oh my gosh hulu now has all the seasons of seinfeld (laughs) right and they probably had to pay a bunch of money for that and it's not true syndication as we think it it's not showing on tv but it's the fact that you could watch it and so somebody may have signed up for hulu just so they could go back and watch seinfeld it's the same thing except for you all it's appointment television right so it's it's very i mean of course the 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 higher-ups nowhere close to my position decide you know what shows are we going to run what shows should we run which ones should we not run right but it's a very it's a very flowing environment to where somebody might come to work that day and say you know what we're not going to run this show anymore right and immediately you start looking for replacements you start trying to figure out you know how how is ad sales going to go with this Mm mm-hmm what's the what's the drawback with our audience i mean our the demographic the demographics was going to be that's been watching how are they going to react sure you know? so there's a lot of a lot of things you got to take in consideration for that right well i know working in in the field before um before i got a hold of you about doing the podcast and actually being on here we <laughs> talked a bit about about the audio stuff right and you know you you talked about being able to pick out things, and right. I was all worried that you'd listen to previous podcasts and be like, "Oh, I oh can no, hear no, that. no, no!" See, well, after a while, see, I, I would say to everybody listening, I was in no way an audio video guy at mm-hmm. all. I knew computers really well; I liked them. But if you asked me what an XLR was at the point, which to everybody listening who doesn't know what an XLR, it's a specific connection. If you would have asked me what that was, I would have had no idea. I would have told you it's what it's what they plug in professional microphones with. Right. The, the ones that aren't USB, the ones right. you got to plug that cord in, that's XLR. Right. See, and that's that's something I didn't know. I right. didn't know, I don't know, stereo, mono, mm-hmm. you know, 5.1 to 7.1. Sure. Or whether or not how many channels of audio are coming across the line. Whenever we do a broadcast, sometimes it'll be you know, two channel audio. Sometimes it won't, it'll be something mm-hmm. larger or different or whatever. So whenever I started working there, that's, it's little things you start to pick up on that these engineers, the actual engineers that I work with, uh, that deal with mostly the satellite communication, mostly audio video stuff, they kind of teach you and, and you pick up here and there. And then, then you start listening and then you can say, well, that mic's hot. Or that mic doesn't have enough. It's got too much background noise. You know, the the camera needs to iris down, which means it needs to close it's, the it's lens. It's overexposed. Right, it's overexposed. Mm-hmm. It needs to close the lens down. Or they need to change the white balance. You know, they look blue. What's, why do they look like a Smurf, you know? so it's not really fluorescent lights. Exactly. So it's, it's at first, I, I had no idea. But now I've worked there for a while. You start to pick up on this stuff. And you actually start to see this stuff in a different light. So when you listen to a podcast, you listen to the clarity of the voice, you listen to the background noise, you listen to, and it's not something that you do on purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, you you start picking up on these things because you were taught, well, if you hear this, this might be the problem. 
this is my, what you might need to do to take care of that. So believe it or not, I mean, I've, I've started to pick up on that quite a bit, mm-hmm. but uh, I can say with, with a lot of confidence that your, your podcast is pretty solid. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I think you just probably like how if a director goes and sees a movie, they're probably in director mode. They're right. Like, oh, I would have used that other shot. Right. This and that. So, yeah. Well, you were talking about some, some good equipment and some good advice, even for people who wanted to record audio. Cause I think you talked about some setups you all use right. for audio. Well, the, well we have audio booths. It's what we call them audio booths, mm-hmm. but we have the, um, the foam tile that you use to reduce noise. Is that uh, kind of like an egg crate? Right. Mm-hmm. But these, I mean, those, these are, these are a little bit different. They're completely V-shaped with like real tall ridges and stuff like that. So we have two of those booths, <laughs> booths <laughs> in Huntington mm-hmm. that, uh, that have that all over the walls. But we use a computer to record. We use a Blue Yeti mic, which is a USB mm-hmm. microphone. We make sure it's not an omnidirectional or bidirectional or anything like that. And with, with that mic and with a program called Audacity, which is free to download, mm-hmm. uh, it records a very, it's, it's, a, it's very professional sounding. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's done with just a computer, a free program, and uh, maybe a $150 mic. Right. Right. So if you're wanting to get into that type of thing. Right. uh, You can look at these these types of mics, the ones that are USB. You don't have to have an audio jack or anything like that. And they record fairly well and almost to a professional grade. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, don't don't think automatically that you need this $800 mixer. Right. And you need a $400 sound card and... And all this, this can be actually relatively cheap if you want to get into like YouTube videos or recording podcasts like you're doing here and all that. So. Right. I've heard of the the Blue Yeti mics. I've not actually used them, but, you know, I just kind of relied on some of Josh's expertise. So right. this this board that I use is called a, a Zoom R16, right. and it actually has a place on the bottom I could put in eight AA batteries so I could actually record this out and about without any any power. Now see, that's that's very handy. I don't. And I don't very, know. Very interesting. I don't actually. know how well it would work, right? Or how long I would have audio for. Right. But you know, you could like you put straps on it, like a messenger bag almost, right. and probably carry it around, like interview people and stuff. <laughs> and then it does use the XLR mics, like you were talking about. Right. I think these are like ninety bucks a pop. Right. But you need something to put them through. The exactly. Blue Yeti plugs into USB in your computer and you're exactly. good to go. Exactly. You don't I mean you can do electronic mixing if you need mm-hmm. to. You can adjust the gain in Audacity by itself. Mic level you can adjust on the computer itself. Sure. So I mean there's a lot of things that you can do just with the PC alone that allows you to make the sound better or worse or louder or quieter or whatever your your end goal is for the right. audio. Well, closing thoughts here. Yeah. Um, based on people listening to your experience at a TV station and knowing from the last podcast what your IT background is, can you talk about what you've learned about working at a TV station, and if, if somebody would want to possibly work in IT there, what they could expect, that type of thing. Like, so you're what well, you've learned from there, and maybe what your expectations were, 
and what they should be now for someone who's, right. who's coming in since you've been there a while? The first thing I would like to say is to be ready to adapt. You're going to be facing uh, live video situations to where it has to be fixed and it has to be fixed fast. You also will be faced with equipment that you've probably never, ever seen before. Audio switcher or a DA or a frame sync or something that you just don't like when you're listening to me right now, you have maybe you do, maybe you don't know what it is. It sounds very, very specific to right. that particular job title. Right. So, I mean, you're going to cover a lot of general areas very quickly, and you're going to have to learn how to adapt to that. Also, don't be so close-minded on what your job should be. Uh, say they hire you for an IT guy, and then they come and say, the audio on this mic doesn't sound right. Like I said, I wasn't an audio guy. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, they hired me to do a certain job, and inclusive in that job is stuff like this. Sure. So you have to you have to keep an open mind, and you have to do research. You really do. You have to research and understand exactly what you're dealing with, how it can go wrong. Another thing is you should understand that uh, in any IT job, especially with this one, there are going to be nights you're going to get called out very late, very early. You might have just left. You probably aren't even in your car yet. They're going to call you because there's going to be either a major system failure or there's just a little thing that needs to be taken care of. A lot of the times, you're going to go about your day just as normal. But there are situations that that are going to require your attention when maybe you don't think need your attention. But just understand that, that you have to be quick about your actions uh, if you're going to do something with live TV. There's always a better way of being preventative in anything that can go wrong. And generally, just be able to go with the flow. I mean, there's there's times where there's an issue and you have to go into a booth and there's 10 people in there trying to help fix an issue. And you just have to fit in that. And you have to, to do your part. You can't get in anybody's way or they can't vice versa get in your way. And you have to understand sometimes when people are under high pressure that they'll snap, they'll be mean. You can't take it personal. That type of that type of pressure is, is rare in IT jobs, depending on where you're at. If you're at a lawyer's office or you're at a bank or you're at a library, right? So the, the pressure is very different, but you have to take in consideration the pressure that other people are under along with you so you can understand that, that as long as you keep a cool head, as long as you're calm and collected, you'll, you'll be okay. So if, if you do stuff like that and expect to go into this job and, and do it with, with confidence and do it with uh, an open mind, I think you'll, you'll, you'll do more than excel. I mean, they'll, they'll definitely notice how well you do and, and want to keep you around. And it does seem like just throughout there that it was very fortuitous that you took Jack's wireless class. <laughs> it was. It was, actually. Um, I don't ever bypass something because you don't think it's, it's going to be important to what you actually want to do. Because there is no idea of telling what system will just randomly pop up in, in your, you know, your business. Whether or not your boss comes to you and says, tomorrow 
we're going to talk about going to voice over IP. Or, in a more realistic sense, they'll say, our phone system's old. What do you want to do? So you, for example, uh, just last week I was tasking with finding a new door card system for security. You know, our door cards are getting old. We have an old system. Mm -hmm. It needs to be replaced. I know nothing about door cards other than how, you know, mechanically they work. So when it comes to stuff like that, you have to, you have to just kind of go with the flow and, and expect to do some research and, and do your job. If it were me, I'd drive down to the Army Corps of Engineer <laughs> and be like, can I ask what you guys yeah. are using down here? <laughs> which, which, you know, it's one of the good parts about college, uh, especially at MCTC. I actually talked to Greg. I said, did you guys deal with door card systems when you worked at uh, mm-hmm. his, his, uh, his consulting his, co- his consulting? I job. guess you would call it like the... The contractor job, I right. guess. Yeah. And and he told me, he goes, no, but get in touch with these people. And mm-hmm. I've been talking with him off and on for about a week to, mm-hmm. to figure out a solution. And Networking. Right. Networking goes back to networking. It's very important that even though you might lose contact over a while, these people are still getting experiences in either the same field or a different field. And they might you, you might be able to get help from them and vice versa. So, Yeah. It all comes back. It all comes back. Well, Jared, thank you very much for sitting down and doing well, thank this, you. Uh, this. I had a lot of fun. This marathon two episode podcast talking about uh, your experience in IT and also all the technical stuff you get to do at the TV right. station. Well, thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. And once again, that's going to do it for us here on Talk on Tech. I am Patrick Smith, and just as a reminder, we are on Twitter at Talk on Tech MCTC. And we're also via email at talkontech at gmail.com. Thanks a lot. Until next week, have a good week.